This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In 1944, a baby was born in a hollowed-out wooden washtub. Her parents were Carp and Akilina, and they named her Agafia. She was their fourth child, and she was born in Siberia, Russia. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called The Hermit. A baby girl was born in the Siberian wilderness. What happened to her? Siberia is a geographical region which makes up 75% of Russia. It has borders to the south with Kazakhstan, Mongolia and China. Much of Siberia is covered by mountains and taiga. The taiga is characterised by coniferous forests consisting of pines, birch and spruces. Much of Siberia is covered in these impassable forests that have been largely untouched by man. Bears and wolves inhabit the region. The temperature in Siberia can drop as low as minus 40 degrees Celsius, but has been known to reach even as low as minus 60 degrees Celsius. But in stark contrast, the summer temperature has been known to get as high as 40 degrees Celsius, which gives the area one of the world's greatest temperature variations. Siberia is well known for the Trans-Siberian Railway, which is the world's longest railway line. It has also been mined for its resources, which include coal, petroleum, natural gas, diamonds, iron ore and gold. So it was in this inhospitable landscape that baby Agafia was born. It was in 1978 when a helicopter was surveying a forest near the Mongolian border in Siberia. A party of geologists would be going into prospect for iron ore, and the pilot was looking for a suitable place to land. As the helicopter was skimming the tree line of a thickly wooded valley, he saw something that he had not expected to see. There was a clearing and what looked like long furrows, indicating something had been planted in the ground. Much of Siberia was untouched wilderness, and this area was not known for human habitation. Yet, the pilot seemed to be looking at a cultivated garden. The pilot returned back to his base about 10 miles away and informed the scientists there of what he had found. But they were doubtful that people could be living in such a remote and unforgiving wilderness. All of their records and maps showed that there were no towns or villages in the area. Curious about what the pilot reported, four of them then decided to go and investigate. The group was led by geologist Galina Pismanskaya. As they would be going on foot, they chose a fine day and packed their bags with gifts for the people that they hoped they would find. But as a precaution, they also took pistols with them. As they walked, they finally came to a spot which indicated human activity. First, they saw a rough path and then a log which was laid across a small stream and then their eyes fell upon a small cabin. Here is Galena's account of what they saw. Beside a stream there was a dwelling. Blackened by time and rain, the hut was piled up on all sides with 
tiger rubbish, bark, poles, planks. If it hadn't been for a window the size of my backpack pocket, it would have been hard to believe that people lived there. But they did, no doubt about it. Our arrival had been noticed, as we could see. The low door creaked, and the figure of a very old man emerged into the light of day, straight out of a fairy tale, barefoot, wearing a patched and repatched shirt made of sacking. He wore trousers of the same material, also in patches, and he had an uncombed beard. His hair was dishevelled. He looked frightened, but was very attentive. We had to say something, so I began. Greetings, Grandfather. We've come to visit. The old man did not reply immediately. Finally, we heard a soft, uncertain voice. Well, since you have travelled this far, you might as well come in. They entered the cabin and were immediately struck by the intense, musty smell. It was a very cramped single room, and the floor consisted of potato peels and pine nut shells. It looked like something from the Middle Ages. It was then that they realised the old man was not alone. Galena recalled, The silence was suddenly broken by sobs and lamentations. Only then did we see the silhouettes of two women. One was in hysterics, praying, This is for our sins, our sins. The other, keeping behind a post, sank slowly to the floor. The light from the little window fell on her wide, terrified eyes, and we realised we had to get out of there as quickly as possible. They left the cabin and then sat and waited a short distance away. The man and the two women eventually came out, but were noticeably frightened. They offered them food that they had bought, jam, tea, bread, but they would not take any of it. Galena asked if they had ever eaten bread, and the man replied, I have, but they have not. They have never seen it. The geologists noticed that it was hard to understand the women when they spoke, saying, when they talked to each other, it sounded like a slow, blurred cooing. They had so many questions for these people, and after the initial shock of the strangers, they gradually opened up. The man was named Karp Likov, and the women were his daughters, Agafia and Natalia. Over many visits, they learnt more and more about the family, and what emerged was an incredible story of survival. Karp Likov and his wife Akalina were members of a fundamentalist Russian ultra-Orthodox sect that had split from the Russian church in the 17th century as a protest against church reforms. The leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, Patriarch Nikon, introduced radical religious reforms in Russia, and those who couldn't accept the change came to be known as the Old Believers. In the centuries that followed, the Old Believers continued to worship in a way that was unchanged since the 1600s. However, they became persecuted for wanting to maintain the old ways, and many fled to some of the most remote parts of the world. Karp and his wife had two children and were among those who were shunned for their old beliefs. Then, when the atheist Bolsheviks took power, Christianity came under assault and Karp's own brother had been shot by a communist patrol. Karp and his brother had been working in a field and Karp witnessed his brother being shot dead. This led him to escape with his wife and children 
into the Siberian wilderness. Here is how they summarised their religious beliefs. Christ died on the cross for the whole world. He descended into hell to free the righteous, to raise them up to heaven. But Patriarch Nikon went back to hell to confer with Satan, so he introduced new laws. He was the ultimate Satanist. He changed books and church dogma. Nikon's followers exterminated all priests and made them convert to their faith. They tortured old believers and imprisoned them. They martyred our priests. There were two priests. They were impaled on a nail-ridden barrel, then thrown into it and tortured to death. So it was in the year 1936 that the family fled from their village. Their son, Savin, was nine years old and they had a daughter, Natalia, who was two years old. They took as much as they could carry and headed into the taiga. They became nomadic, settling in various spots and building very basic shelters and then moving on. Finally, they came upon a location which was to become their permanent home, which was near the river Yerinat in the Abakan River Basin, some 250 kilometres or 160 miles from the nearest settlement. Eventually, two more children would be born, first Dimitri in 1940 and then Agafia in 1943. So these two children would grow up not ever knowing any other people except their family members. Here is Agafia describing when she was born. We had a big wooden tub. We used it to soak linen and hemp. Dad poured warm water into the tub and put my mum in it. When mum was delivering me, Dad stood guard. Once I was born, he pulled me out of the water. Akalina had given birth to Agafia at the age of 43. All that Dimitri and Agafia knew of the outside world was what their parents told them. The only reading material they had was prayer books and an old family Bible, which was used to teach the children to read. The strange way the girls spoke was attributed to a 1400-year-old Russian prayer book with its old world vocabulary. In a video I watched, you can see Agafia looking through the pages of this very old book, which is so deteriorated as you can imagine. They were also taught to write by using birch sticks, which had been dipped in honeysuckle juice. The family were totally reliant on what their surroundings could provide them. When their shoes were worn out, they would make new ones from tree bark. Their clothes would be patched and repatched until they fell apart, and then they would make clothes from hemp cloth, which had been grown with the seeds that they had brought with them. Among the possessions they had taken with them was a basic spinning wheel, a loom, and a few kettles. When the kettles became totally rusted, they had to resort to using birch bark to make cups, bowls, and buckets. There was absolutely no iron, such as nails, bolts, or screws. When they were discovered, their diet consisted primarily of potato patties, with ground rye and hemp seeds mixed in. However, there were wild bilberries and raspberries grown nearby and there were also pine nut trees. There were also plenty of trees which provided firewood. Food was always in short supply and rationing became essential. Over the years, there were periods of extreme food shortage, with the family having to resort to eating roots, grass and bark. Initially, they had no meat 
and it was only when one of their sons, Dimitri, reached adulthood that he was able to hunt animals for meat and skins. As they didn't have any bows or guns, they would dig traps or pursue animals until they were weary enough to catch. Dimitri would hunt barefoot even in winter and would be gone for days at a time, sleeping out in the open in very cold temperatures. Sometimes he returned with an elk across his shoulders, but often he came home empty-handed. The weather conditions in the taiga varied greatly from season to season, with even summer sometimes being more like winter. In one particular year, it snowed during summer and the frost killed everything in their garden. They had to resort to eating their shoes and bark. Their mother, Akalina, always made sure the children were fed first, before herself. But this motherly gesture resulted in Akalina losing her own life due to starvation. As an illustration of the desperate lives they lived, once they only had a single grain of rye which had sprouted. To protect it, they put a fence around it and guarded it from mice and squirrels. It was finally able to yield 18 grains of rye, from which they had been able to rebuild their rye crop. The geologist had at first underestimated their abilities and intelligence. They thought the daughters were mentally disabled due to how they spoke. However, they soon came to see that they were not, observing their many skills in cooking, sewing, cloth weaving, hunting and reading. They also watched Carp and his sons felling trees and then manually smoothing them, which would take days. Once they took them to a Soviet sawmill, where they saw how wood was so easily cut with circular saws and then smoothed with a lathe, which they were in total awe of. The family were fascinated by the latest technologies that the scientists had brought with them. They were shown transparent cellophane, which they described as glass that crumples. Initially, the family refused to accept any of the food offered to them by the geologists, but they were prepared to take salt. However, over time, they accepted more and more, including knives, forks and grain, and even pen and paper and electric torches. But there was one technology which had the family enthralled, television. The scientists had a television in their camp, and here is a description of their reaction to it. Television proved irresistible for them. On their rare appearances, they would invariably sit down and watch. Carp sat directly in front of the screen. Agafia watched, poking her head from behind a door. She tried to pray away her transgression immediately, whispering, crossing herself. The old man prayed afterward, diligently, and in one fell swoop. Then, 20 years after their mother died, three of the children also died within a few days of one another. There was some conjecture in the media that this was a result of their exposure to diseases from the outside world to which they had no immunity. The geologist wanted to helicopter Dimitri to hospital, but he refused, saying, We are not allowed that. A man lives for however God grants. As autopsies were not done and they were buried in the taiga, it remains unknown what exactly happened, but pneumonia has been cited as the most likely reason. So, 
that left only Agafia and her father. With only two members now left, the geologists tried to persuade them to leave and go back and live with relatives who were known to have still been alive in the village where they were from, but they refused. Then, seven years after the children died, Agafia's father also passed away in 1988, 27 years after his wife. The geologists helped Agafia to bury him. Now all alone, she still refused to leave her home. After being discovered by the geologists, the family story had become well known throughout Russia. And now that she was all alone, Agafia wrote a letter asking for help, which appeared in various media outlets in Russia. Here is what she wrote in the letter. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. A letter from Agafia Likova to her brothers and sisters. I pray that God grants you good health, but first and foremost, the salvation of your souls and well-being. Another thing I must tell you, my brothers and sisters in God, is that I live alone, an orphan. My health is waning. I am advanced in years and need someone to help me. Please don't abandon me for Christ's sake. Have mercy for a humble orphan in need. After all, there are still kind people and old believers out there. Of course, Agafia's plea was answered and she wasn't short of visitors. During the summer, people would access her home via the river in canoes, but in the winter, the only access was via helicopter. Groups of university students visited her from time to time, helping her with the work that needed to be done, which was particularly important before the cold winter months set in. Trees were felled and firewood was stockpiled. Agafia was also given chickens, goats which provided her with milk, and also a dog and cats which helped to keep her company. But there was one question she was asked a lot, and that was about bears. As they hibernated in the winter, she said it wasn't much of a problem. But she did recall one time when she came face to face with a bear and she didn't have anything to defend herself. She said the best thing to do is to stand still and not attempt to run. So she just stood there and sang a prayer and eventually the bear left. She puts this down to God hearing her prayer, but personally, I just think it was sheer good fortune. Agafia was also alerted to bears when her dog started barking loudly. She would then use her gun to shoot blanks to scare them off. In regards to food, she never experienced the scarcity of food, which had been a constant problem when her family was still alive. Over the years, she had been given many seeds and was able to grow her own vegetables. Even though as a child she had never seen bread, she was now able to bake her own bread with the flour that was given to her. I saw her making it in her stone oven, which looked like a pizza oven, and the bread looked absolutely delicious. I would prefer her bread over supermarket bread any day. One of the geologists who had visited the family over the years then decided to live in the taiga and erected his own small hut not far from Agafia. His name was Erefei Sidov. While her family had fled due to religious reasons, his reason was quite different. He had been married twice and had children, but had become estranged from his family. He had also been sacked from his job 
but the reasons were not known. The arrangement worked well for the two of them. Agafia now had company and someone to help with the heavy work that needed to be done. He had brought a satellite phone and a radio with him into the Tega, so they were not totally cut off from the outside world. But here is what Agafia said about the radio. It's always about someone murdering someone else, or people with explosives, killing other people and themselves. Should I listen to that? But as Erefe progressed in age, he also developed various physical ailments, meaning he could do less and less work. However, the biggest setback was when he had to have one of his legs amputated. When he had been in the army, his legs had frozen in the freezing temperatures, with one leg being severely affected by gangrene. It deteriorated over time, resulting in its eventual amputation. So Erefe had to use crutches and his mobility became limited. But you can clearly see in the videos that he has a peg leg. So he relied more and more on Agafia to provide him with his needs of food and firewood. As time progressed, his age and disability meant that he was almost totally reliant on Agafia and he often became very demanding of her. There were disagreements and times when they wouldn't talk to one another. Agafia also recalled a few times when he behaved sinfully towards her, as she put it. Here she is describing what she meant by this. She said, Erefe once tried to have his way with me through treachery. I repelled his advances, no matter how hard he forced himself on me with all of his embraces and kisses. He was up to no good. Erefe was insistent. He said, I'll get you even if you crawl into the stove. I tried to reason with him with scriptures. I had to stand tough from it. It happened two times. Once even when I was sick. I don't know what came over him. It was a sinful act. He then wrote a letter to send out and said, If you agree to live with me, I will burn the letter. If you don't agree, people will come and put you in handcuffs and take you away. After that, I could not sleep for several days and nights. I kept praying. I wanted to go away and die of hunger. I still think why God allowed him to do such a thing. I could have believed him, and then there would have been no way out. When asked about these incidents, Erefe denies it. He said it was all nonsense and lies. He then said that he had witnessed Agafia and her sister having sexual relations with their own father when he was alive. Of course, Agafia was totally horrified by this. So, who are we to believe? Well, that's an easy question for me. I totally believe Agafia. She was so pure of heart and soul. She wouldn't have known what it meant to lie and deceive. He, on the other hand, had come from human civilization. So, I absolutely know that she was telling the truth. Over the years, there were many people who came and helped Agafia and Erefe, and as already seen, Erefe had made advances towards her. But it was the arrival of one particular man who came to offer his help, who seems to have actually followed through in violating Agafia. I watched a video of her recalling this assault, and I could see that she was very affected by it. She described it as a sinful act, and although it's not absolutely clear what happened, we can only read between the lines and infer that she was raped. So, even living so far away 
from the vices of modern civilization, poor Agafia still became a victim. So, the years progressed on, and Agafia and Eriphae lived in the Taiga together for 18 years, until he eventually died only five years ago in 2015 at the age of 77. Then, four years ago in 2016, at the age of 70, Agafia was having severe pains in her legs and used the emergency satellite phone to ask for medical help. She was evacuated via helicopter and taken to hospital. Her condition was diagnosed as cartilage deterioration. During her hospital visit, Agafia said she was not impressed by the modern ways. She said, there are so many cars. Why do you need so many? There's so much smoke from them. There's nothing to breathe. Now, I really think that her leg must have been pretty bad for her to seek medical treatment. Being such a hardy person living in the wilderness, it must have been really bad to have affected her enough that she needed to actually get help. The geologists had offered the family a number of times to take them to visit the outside world, but they refused. It was only when Agafia was finally all alone that she did agree to be taken outside of her home, but only for short periods, and she always expressed the desire to live in her wilderness home until she too passed away. On one trip, the Soviet government paid for her to tour the Soviet Union for a month. Her subsequent trips were only to seek medical treatment or visit relatives and other old believers. She described how the air and the water outside of her home made her sick and that she found the busy roads frightening. Then, not long ago, in 2019, Agafia had some very unexpected visitors come to see her. Officials from the Russian Space Agency came to inform her that there would be an impending rocket launch from a cosmodrome in the neighbouring Kazakhstan. It was possible that space debris could fall in her area and they recommended that she evacuate her home. They offered to transport her to safety and her answer was very interesting. She said, the rockets fell down before, so what is different now? So it seems that she had seen space junk fall before, but despite trying to convince her to leave for her own safety, she refused to go. However, they were not surprised, saying, the inspectors were not surprised to hear that she refused to leave. Everybody knows that Agafia hates leaving her home. Agafia is also regularly visited by people from a nearby nature reserve who check on her every so often and bring her the things she needs. The man who oversees the reserve said, people from all over the world are writing to Agafia and sending her parcels. This time we received about 100 kilograms of presents including headscarves, a dressing gown, several towels, bed linen, needles and thread, as well as dried fruit. We are also carrying seeds for her. She grows everything, potatoes, zucchinis, pumpkin, cucumbers, tomatoes and carrots. He also said, she loves communication. This is her character. She loves talking to people. When you get to her, you are so tired and exhausted after the long way. And she sits next to you and talks and talks about everything and does not go away. You would like to have a rest, to sleep after the long journey, but you have to patiently listen so that she doesn't get offended. A year and a half ago, 
we visited her on snowmobiles in winter. She asked us to help her kill one goat because she did not have enough hay for him. We helped, of course. She put the meat right near the doorstep of her house and covered it. Next time we visited her, I asked, did you eat the goat meat? And she said, no, my cats finished him. They dug a tunnel to the meat under the snow and finished it bit by bit. She also has many cats, once as many as 20, but I'm not sure now. After watching a number of videos of Agafia, I kept noticing that she appeared to have one breast larger than the other one. She always wore heavy clothing due to the cold, but I could still see that there was a very large lump on the right side of her chest. People would ask her about this, and she said it was something that kept growing over the years, but that it didn't pose any problems for her, except as she got older, it sometimes impeded her work. A doctor who had visited once diagnosed it as a tumour, but as she had lived with it for almost 30 years, it was determined to be benign. In 2014, a doctor weighed Agafia and she was 45 kilograms and the tumour weighed 4 kilograms. Then only in December last year in 2020, I read that a surgeon had gone to examine Agafia and he recommended that she have surgery to have the tumour removed. As this was not that long ago, it will be very interesting to see if this happens. But of course, she would have to agree, and given her dislike of venturing out of her home, I'm not sure if she will agree. But I would also wonder how her body would cope with such an operation. Firstly, there's the anaesthetic. Her body would be so pure, she's never had any medicine, so I'm interested to see what happens. Well, you know, I think that she's lived with this for this long and she's in her 70s, so I would just leave it be. Now, this next part of Agafia's story totally shocked me when I read it. This woman has lived in the wilderness for more than 70 years, cut off from civilization, except for the occasional visitors. Yet, last year in 2020, she too came face to face with the one thing that the year 2020 will be long remembered for. Yes, COVID-19. But don't worry, she didn't get the virus, but she had gone to a local village near to where she lived to buy a few things. It was a 50-kilometre walk to get there. It was a requirement for shoppers to wear a mask when entering stores, but apparently Agafia refused to do so. She was detained by police and she said that wearing such things was evil and that prayer helped her against any plague. When they explained about the virus to her, her response was, this is the Lord's punishment for the whim of demons and the Antichrist lies. And can you believe she was given a fine of 5,000 rubles? When I read this story, I just really found it hard to believe for a number of reasons. Firstly, how could a woman of her age, who is now 76, walk 50 kilometers? She also supposedly shunned a lot of the modern world. And what about money? Had visitors over the years given her money? So this story makes me very dubious, as you never really know what you find on the internet, whether it's actually true. So I'm not too sure that she would be going off um, shopping in nearby villages somehow. So then I looked to see if I could verify this story about COVID-19, and I came across another bizarre story 
where a woman flew in by helicopter to visit Agafia. This woman was a glamorous social media influencer with millions of followers. The woman met with Agafia and then shared her visit on her social media. But what resulted was that she received criticism for potentially putting Agafia at risk of contracting COVID. The woman had not taken precautions such as wearing PPE and also did not fulfill a requirement to provide a negative COVID test before the visit. A spokesperson from the nearby nature reserve where Agafia lives made the following statement. We asked the blogger to provide negative COVID-19 tests. We are now very worried for Agafia. She flouted moral, ethical and theological norms and grossly violated the flight rules, failed to use personal protective equipment and shot videos and photos without a permit. Although Agafia and her family have had contact with outsiders, it has always been at the forefront of people's minds that care needed to be taken due to their lack of immunity to modern diseases. So this woman was criticised for downplaying the potential risk that she could have posed for Agafia. She responded by saying that Agafia was actually happy to see her and that they hugged. Well, this caused even more of an outcry that they hugged. The woman responded by saying, The pilot strictly prohibited us even to touch Agafia. But when we were leaving, I told her, Agafia, I want to give you a hug so much, but I was prohibited. And then she told me, we can hug, he, the pilot, can't see. Now look, I am really just appalled at this. I don't believe this at all, that Agafia gave her permission. But even if she had, the woman should have declined, given what she knew about COVID, which Agafia did not. Just another example of these social media people who would do anything for a story and a photo to post on their social media. I find it really disgusting. So she posted the following after visiting Agafia. She said, She followed her heart and she felt that I came in peace. I want to scream that I have seen Agafia with my own eyes. This is some sort of a dream. Oh, lady, I, I really don't like you one bit. Now, this woman had previously been involved in another controversy where she had raised money for children with cancer, but then refused to specify how the money was spent. And there is probably more to come on this story, as a lawsuit has been filed against the woman and her pilot for visiting Agafia. So stay tuned, everyone. This just floors me that after more than 70 years in isolation, Agafia is exposed to a world pandemic and could be involved in a lawsuit. I am beyond shocked. Also last year in 2020, another significant event happened to Agafia. With the help of a well-known Russian billionaire, there were discussions about building Agafia a new house. I read that she had personally written to the man asking him to build her a new house, which he agreed to. But it would prove to be very difficult due to the remote location where she lived. The materials would have to be helicoptered in or brought in on canoes along the river, which would take a number of trips and with the unpredictable weather conditions of the area, it was decided that the house would be built off-site and then taken in piece by piece. So essentially what they did is they built the house, then they numbered all of the timber 
they took it apart again and then transported it to Agafia. Now, this all started in December last year, and then I read that after being partially constructed, the house was then suspended temporarily. And this was due to Agafia's request herself. Apparently, in keeping with her religious beliefs, December and January are times of fasting for her. So it seems that she didn't wish for all of this to be happening while she was in her religious fast. I have seen photos of the house partially built, and so it does remain to be seen when it will be finished, but I, of course, will continue to keep looking. But for me, this man is one billionaire that I respect. He has apparently been involved with a number of charitable programs, donating money to a variety of educational, scientific and cultural institutions. At one point, he had been the richest man in Russia and ranked in the top 10 in the world. So my hat's off to him for using all of that ridiculous wealth for something good. So as we have seen, the family had a number of visitors over the years who documented their lives and shared their remarkable story with the outside world. One such person was a Russian journalist named Vasily Peskov, who spent a lot of time with the family and then published a book in the year 1994 called Lost in the Taiga, One Russian Family's 50-Year Struggle for Survival and Religious Freedom in the Siberian Wilderness. So, of course, I tried looking for this book, but sadly it was out of print. But I did read people talking about the book, saying that now that it's out of print, people are actually trying to sell copies of their own book at ridiculous prices. I was considering biting the bullet and buying one, but then I thought there were just too many perils with trying to buy something online from a complete stranger rather than a reputable bookseller. So I didn't get the book, but I would absolutely love to be able to find it and read it. And I have also read that a movie is being produced about her family's life, which is called The Forest in Me. A filmmaker by the name of Rebecca Marshall has already started the project, and I will be checking back for this movie for sure. So here are my thoughts about this amazing woman. I'm sure that you will agree that her life is nothing short of absolutely remarkable. And in all of the places in the world, Siberia, you can't get much more inhospitable than that. Such a harsh environment, let alone for a woman of her age. And here is a quote from a man about how he sees Agafia. He said, I am a Siberian man, but I would find it impossible to stay in her place for more than three days. It is extremely challenging physically and morally, yet she seems to be finding it the only life she wants to have. She is a Mowgli. And he's referring here to the Jungle Book, where the human boy is raised by wolves. While I can understand people's fascination with her and her family, a part of me still feels that we should probably leave her alone. But I guess her notoriety now can't be reversed. But as we know, there have been many cases before where remote tribes have been found, and then sadly, contact with the outside world led to their gradual decline. It makes me wonder if her three siblings would have lived longer if the family hadn't have been found. And also, why did Agafia and her father manage to outlive the others? I just find that very fascinating. So as you were listening to this story, 
You may have been wondering where the crime in the story would be, but as you can see, this story didn't have one. Except, of course, there was a crime with Agafia being sexually assaulted. But this was just a story which I've been following for a few years now, even before I started the podcast. Her story just fascinated me, and I just kept checking back every so often to find out how she was doing and if she was still alive. So I thought I would just have to tell her story now that I have my podcast. So she is currently 76 and her next birthday is in April. So if you want to find out more about her yourself, there is plenty on the internet and there are so many fantastic photos of her and her family. I've been really totally amazed about how much that I've been able to find. So if you'd like to look for her, her name is Agafia Likova, that's A-G-A-F-I-A, Likova, L-Y-K-O-V-A. And to finish this story, here is Agafia speaking about how she copes being alone and how she sees the future of mankind. A Christian can never be lonely. Every Christian has their guardian angel, as well as Christ and the apostles. I have an icon that has been blessed. I am never lonely as I always have Christ with me. Now, while Agafia feels that she cannot live in the outside world, she still welcomes those who come to visit her, saying, The world is going to ruin. I feel it is my duty to share my faith with those who come here. And here is how she sees the future of mankind. Christians are still entertaining their freedom, but we are approaching the time when they will be brutally tortured. When a microchip will be implanted in everyone's arm and forehead, this will be the last thing to happen before the apocalypse. When that time arrives, Christ's second coming will be close. Only those Christians who hold on to the old truth of Christ, commit good deeds, repent and pray to the Lord for forgiveness, will receive God's mercy. They will forever be in God's kingdom while sinners will suffer eternal punishment. And here to finish now is some audio of Agafia herself, so you can hear how she sounds. And now let's preview the next episode. It's called Bridge Over Troubled Water. The school bus was taking students home. What happened? And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. Be somebody who makes everybody feel like somebody. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.